0: One Week Season.
1: buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it is officially week 10 in the NFL, and we have five games to go over today. If you are listening to this on the podcast version right now, keep in mind we also have this live streamed up over at YouTube. You can come check us out at One Week Season. Subscribe. You get to see the faces Hilo and I are going to make at each other, uh, especially as we talk about a few of these games versus... Just listening to it on the podcast this week, we're going to be breaking down Cleveland versus Miami, Detroit versus Chicago, the game. Everybody's excited about Denver versus Tennessee. If you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice, that was sarcasm, New Orleans versus Pittsburgh and the Houston for the Giants. And with that, I will welcome in Mr. Hilo. Uh, If you hear him cough or sneeze, he's getting over a cold. So please forgive him and don't roast him on Twitter for it. Uh, or please do. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do my
0: damnedest to uh, to hit that mute button. You can probably tell through my voice I'm I'm all plugged up up here. Um, but yeah, hopefully it, we shouldn't. Let's talk about these games, man. Like, uh, what are we starting? At, Lions and Bears. This is yeah, uh, we're gonna, this is an interesting one, dude.
1: Yeah, this is um right. Two of the worst defenses in the league, right? Like they're just bad. And then Chicago, while long term, it's going to be good for them, right? traded away their two best defensive players and this is going to open up for what i think is going to be a highly highly owned game i think we're going to see mega chalk in this game because this in the range of outcomes can go 17 14 this can also go 41 38 right with the over under being at 48 and a half with everybody is and the Bears finally starting to figure things out with how to actually use fields and miss that mismanagement of how bad their offensive line is. Uh, I'm interested to see what your thoughts here, uh, especially as, uh, you know, the Bears, we talked about, are averaging 31 points a game. It's kind of crazy, right? Dang it, I already threw one in. I already threw it right in in the podcast. Dude, so, yeah,
0: we have been talking about the Chicago Bears and what they have been doing, their personnel, their everything from the GM down in this space since we started doing it. And over the last three weeks, we've seen what we've been talking about, what they needed to be doing, actually come to transpire. They've averaged over 31 points per game over those last three games. They're starting to they're, they're basically doing what we said they needed to do. They were like, they have to stop hiding their fallacies, their, um, their, their blemishes, which was their offensive line. They were trying to hide that. They were trying to get away with a very vanilla game plan. And it probably, it, it, it stemmed from this, like we have so many moving pieces this season, uh, you know, talking back into, into February where they fired um, Pace and they hired Ryan Poles. Um, and from then until like September, there just was so much, there was so much change in, in Chicago. And so when that, like when they started their season, they started in a hurricane game. Um, we, we called it like the yeah. waterworks game or whatever in right. with San Francisco. Um, and they were able to just like, keep play, keep away and run the ball. And they ended up getting a win. So they carried those like ideologies and methodologies through the next like 5 games um just thinking that they could like just overpower teams and they found out quickly that like their offensive line is not good then they started they they molded that game plan to like try and hide those deficiencies and it was run on first and second down and let's have fields pass on third down and they were not designing fields rushing attempts they were not doing any interesting things it was very vanilla and it was basically just trust that fields can get us there on third down and what was happening is they were rushing for one from between like negative two yards to one yards on first down they were picking up either going backwards or picking up another two yards and they were forcing they were facing like between third and 12 to third and seven routinely and fields is like this escapability master he we know his mobility his um, athleticism, he thought he could just escape every situation, and he was just taking sacks because he has zero pocket presence. Well, now we see that they are designing Field's runs on first down. They are um dialing up passing plays on first down. And we're not talking about like l- leveraging Field's elite arm strength and going for downfield shots on first down. No, they're hitting like slants for seven yards on first down. It's like, yes, dude, that is what you right. need. Um, but yeah, so this offense has evolved like right before our eyes and it's, it's cool to see because we talked about all those things, what they were doing wrong, how, like how they could fix it and they are doing those things. Um, so this is a very, very different offense than we've seen over the first six weeks, the last three weeks, again, 31 points, um, average per game. They are designing fields, rushing plays on first down. They are actually designing plays up for their mobile quarterback to be mobile. Um, They're passing uh, on and they're, they're not suddenly this like high pass rate team. It's just when they are choosing to pass is not just reserved for like third downs where it's obvious and exploitable from an opposing defense. So now like we can still expect them to be a run first team. They're going to basically have those carries split up between the triad of uh, Justin Herbert, Dave Montgomery, and now the quarterback, Justin Fields. So we're into this, like, there's a little bit of uncertainty regarding the volume on the ground. But what it's done is it's opened up the lid on the offense overall so that now there's upside here. Like, they're scoring touchdowns. This is good. Like, we we can attack this team. Um, so yeah, here at OWS, we've been attacking Fields for the past four to six weeks, waiting for that to happen. It finally happened. And you probably saw the leaderboards like we were peppered all over the top with Justin Fields when not a lot of people had him last
1: week. Yeah, we were all over that as a community from everybody's aspects. And I want to talk about it because it really opened up a lot of things, right? Taking the opportunity to go Fields naked. And we'll talk about him in a little bit. But our call last week on Mr. Mitchell in tight end, you know, Armageddon, you know, being able to get that touchdown out of him while his utilization isn't up where everybody wants it to see yet. Everybody was not on him and those that did it really opened it up. So I'm disappointed because while I did fine, right. I, I made money last week. I, cause I went fields Mitchell and I pulled the trigger on the jets D. Mm -hmm. And that opened up so many other things. I just didn't play mixing. That was uh, right. Like if you didn't play mixing, you were dead last week. So, but once his utilization goes up, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. And the amazing thing was, is they're going to figure this out and let's be ahead of the curve. And I think that's one thing as a group we've done really well so far is be ahead of the curve.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> with uh, with James Mitchell, he played only about 20% of the snaps, but where he was playing those snaps were high value. So um he was playing red zone looks. Obviously he caught that touchdown. I would expect um with the injuries that they have going on in Detroit, um, uh, we have Josh Reynolds who has not practiced this week. Um he has been he's been playing through a an ankle injury, and he as opposed to like Amon Ross St. Brown, who sat out with his ankle injury, allowed it to heal, and then came back and now like is the week where we expect his production to not be influenced by that ankle injury Reynolds played through it. And he basically was like the last man standing of that pass catching core for a while. And now he is looking still hobbled, still bothered by it. So he's probably either going to be limited or out this week. Obviously TJ Hawkinson is no longer in town. We have um, DJ Chark, who's still on the IR so they, they don't have a lot of, Oh, and then Deandre Swift is clearly not fully healed from his
1: ankle and shoulder. It's not so, even close.
0: It's not even yeah. close. So he, like, tried, he came out and tried to play like 55% of the offensive snaps um, out of their buy. And then la- that was week eight. And then last week he was relegated to like 16% of the snaps or something, something gross like that. Um, so he's clearly not right yet. Um, and if they're going to keep just babying him, they might as well have thrown him on IR when it happened, let him heal up for 5 weeks because yeah. that would have been 4 games plus their buy, and then he would be returning this week fully healthy. But they didn't. And so now he's like he's playing trying to play through these injuries, so he is ineffective and he's not being on the field. So they have Jamal Williams who is like the anti splash play player (laughs) like he he's just he's just a plotter and a grinder they have Amon Ross St. Brown and then they have like uh Khalif Raymond and the two tight ends so Brock Wright and James Mitchell I would expect that we see a little bit more 12 personnel mixed in this week they like Wright because he's been around the league a couple years he's a better blocker but they have this like athletic kind of freakish pass catching tight end yard after catch ability in James Mitchell just kind of sitting in the waiting um obviously he's coming off of uh, a lost college season um i believe he tore his acl in 2021 and so they that's the gamble that they took on him even after his like elite performance in 2019 and 2020 in the college ball um he was coming off a pretty severe injury so As the season progresses, James Mitchell is a guy that we need to have on our radar because of what he has shown in the college game from a he was above like a a 3.0 yards per route run guy in college. That's like Kyle Pitts range.
1: Yeah, that's Um, insanely elite. If, If you really don't know what that stat means, that is just that's what draft gurus dreams are made of. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the
0: gamble that they made on James Mitchell was elite production in college coming off of an ACL. Um, now we are what we're heading into week 10. So on the sec, the back end of the season is kind of where those gambles we see start to pay off. Um, we saw it last year with Amon Ross St. Brown. He was like buried on the depth chart coming into the year, but we knew that he had a th- uh, elite athleticism same thing with James Mitchell is like, it's, it's almost deja vu with this team, just injuries and ineffective play and dealing away players. Now the like elite skill players who were buried on the depth chart are getting their chance. And that's kind of how I've been monitoring James Mitchell. Um, so yeah, I'm going to keep playing him. His only, his price only came up like 200 bucks uh, from last weekend. So um, he's an interesting piece to throw into your, uh, your fishbowl to pull from, from this game.
1: So, So we're going to see JM put out a tweet I saw earlier in the week asking what everybody thought of the pricing of Josh Fields, and everybody said he's underpriced, which basically tells us we're going to get buyer remorse and everybody's going to come back, and we're going to see a lot of fields in a game which the Bears are one of the highest team totals of the week Uh, when you go and break down everybody's team totals. How do you see that? and how do you see the ability to get unique if you want to play fields especially in MME uh, i don't know that I'll, i don't know that i'll go back on my single entry or three max maybe one lineup three max but how do you see yourself being able to get unique with fields when he's going to have this kind of ownership or more importantly how do you leverage off of fields in this game the leverage is to
0: always play a mobile quarterback with exactly one pass catcher We've talked about that in the space before the, the rushing floor and fields rushed for 178 yards and a touchdown last week. And he still would not have broken the slate unless he tossed three touchdowns. Like it's that simple. So if you're looking for the path for a mobile quarterback to wreck the slate, and that's like basically what we play them to do we're entering a player on a roster, we're saying like, this guy is going to top the slate. And it, it, the price is almost, it it doesn't matter because we're looking for the separators and we're talking like GPP mindset here. So we've seen it with Lamar Jackson, the two games that he scored this season, uh, where he scored 40 points or more, which is put the slate out of reach territory for a quarterback. Um, he brought along exactly one pass catcher, that pass catcher in both games was Mark Andrews. One game, he went over a hundred yards and scored a touchdown. The other game, he put up like seven for 88 and two touchdowns. So the path for the mobile quarterback to hit their 99% outcome or 90% outcome is through both the utilization of their legs. So we want them to be able to hit 100 yards rushing and a score and throwing multiple touchdowns, because those are those chunk point gainers. If the quarterback is throwing multiple touchdowns, it is highly likely that one pass catcher is going to be brought along with him. Last week for Fields, that was Cole Kmet. Um, Again, that is, again, from like a theoretical perspective, it it makes so much sense to pair a quarterback with their tight end, because tight ends in today's game derive so much of their value through touchdowns you're not going to see a tight end be optimal without scoring at least one touchdown, very often two touchdowns. So if a tight end is scoring twice, who is throwing them that football for them to score twice, their quarterback. So that is a very natural correlation that is still going really underused by the field. And. Oh God, I hope I got it in there. You uh, did. Sorry. You did a good job. There. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, the the leverage the the roundabout way of or, or I guess the short way of answering that very roundabout question or the way I answered it is to say always pair a mobile quarterback with exactly one pass catcher just based on how the scoring breaks breaks down from a theoretical perspective that is optimal
1: makes sense so mr pressure himself we're going to finish up with here uh jared goff how do you see, being in the chicago's one of the lowest blitz rate teams in the league when mr goff has a clean pocket we know he can be downright elite slate breaking and when he's pressured he throws the ball like he's playing a passing league game on a friday night <laughs> like he's uncle rico yeah, there you go. That's I was trying to think of a good example. I that's a great example of uh, where to go there. Do you see yourself using any golf this week? I, um, yes.
0: So let's break that down. You asked about like, how do we leverage the expected Justin Fields ownership? I went through how to play fields optimally. The other angle is to access Fields upside through Jared Goff. The why we do that. One, Goff is priced lower. Obviously, we know that we're not getting the rushing floor that we get from Justin Fields with Jared Goff. But if you look at Jared Goff's PFF splits when under pressure versus when kept clean over the last three seasons, he is like top five quarterback rate and PFF grade in the league. When kept clean, he is bottom three <laughs> when pressured. Yep. So he yeah, is, he's Jekyll and Hyde. He's, he's an older version of Zach Wilson. We just put it like that. Like <laughs> the dude <laughs> is absolutely atrocious when under pressure and he is like gold. When kept clean, he can throw down field. He can hit those timing routes. He can, uh, if he's allowed to uh, hit for his receivers to their routes to develop, he's very good at making his progressions through his reads. That said, we have a we have a Bears defense who doesn't blitz. They just lost an edge and an outside linebacker. What do those guys do? Those guys create pressure in the backfield. So they just lost their best pressure backfield pressure generators in Roquan Smith and um, and Robert Quinn. So this sets up for like Goff to be kept upright to not be put under pressure. And if he is like we've talked about a top five quarterback in the league, when not under pressure, and he's not expected to be put under pressure, there's upside here. What does that upside look like? It looks like probably volume, or it looks like it would probably come through volume and concentration amongst his pass catchers. We talked about Amon Ross St. Brown. Khalif Raymond is an interesting guy to throw into your golf stacks. Um, James Mitchell is an interesting guy to throw into your golf stacks Playing golf in and of itself is going to be extremely unique this week. Double stacking golf because their offense is concentrated is not going to happen at all. So I will have that for sure.
1: That'll be a unique way to play this game. Well, let's move on to the game we joked about at the beginning that we're just going to basically just get it out of the way. Like it's here. Um, One of my most disappointing players of the season, Mr. Russell Wilson. We can go there with all of that. We know how good the Broncos pasty is versus how bad their run D is. We know the Titans are going to run the ball. I want no part of this mess of Denver's backfield. Will you try to mix in some Judy Sutton stacks? Maybe I just don't love any parts of this game other than Give you know, give the big dog a chance to eat and just running him over. Tannehill had practice last I saw, so we should finally see him back. Hopefully, if he doesn't, I'm going to absolutely hammer with a mortgage payment. Malik's under on passing again, and he wouldn't even have been close if it wasn't for that beginning play of the game where it broke for 40 yards or whatever it was. Yeah, 40 yarder. Yeah, he he wouldn't even have been close to that prop. It, and he didn't really come close, but he wouldn't even have been in the ballpark if it wasn't for that.
0: Yeah. And it was a it was a 48 yard pass and catch with an intent yeah. with an intended air yards of one and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he hit Chigazim uh, coming out of a block and yeah. he did the rest. Basically drug defenders, 48 mm-hmm. yards down the field. Um, yeah. So this game sets up to be extremely um tennessee titans oriented and it and i say that because they're highly likely to be able to control the game environment how they want to um we also have ryan tannahill who i don't think he's been ruled out
1: yet is that accurate yeah correct as of now he hasn't been ruled out yeah he, and he did, was he was limited but he actually was at practice this week so
0: it's, yeah and that's that's coming off of a week where he traveled with the team and it, he they took his the decision on him up until uh game time So he was uh, not made a decision on until 90 minutes prior to last week. So he's getting closer with that ankle injury. Um, He's he will be three weeks removed from the ankle injury. So as long as it wasn't a severe or a grade two plus um, high ankle sprain, that should be well within his timetable to return. Um, Typically for either a low ankle sprain or a grade one high ankle sprain, you're looking at like two to four weeks um obviously the more severe high ankle sprains are you could you could be like 4 to Quite 6 weeks yeah yep. so um he's kind of in that time window as long i i don't even recall what um the grade of his or where his ankle sprain was but um he's in that time window to return so he could return here um r- realistically who's in quarterback or who's in the backfield uh as the signal caller for the Titans is probably not going to matter a lot to the coaching staff here because their game plan is very clear. It's been very clear all year. It has been working for them. They're sitting with like the third best record in the AFC at five and three, and they are just going to feed the beast. And they, and this matchup
1: personnel in and run the ball.
0: This matchup sets up very well for that, for them to do that because the Broncos are a very clear run funnel defense. Their secondary is Probably we will say it's like their secondary is like four fifths elite. So, like, four of the five pieces in their secondary are, are absolutely elite. They're missing like one piece that would put them in the same like realm as like the San Francisco 49ers, the New York Jets, uh, the Buffalo Bills. Um, so, they're just they're, they've been missing the one piece, but they still have unreal athleticism on the back end. Um, they are a very clear run funnel uh, defense. And that just sets up well for the Titans to just control this game as they want to control this game. Um, the other side of that is the Titans secondary is not good. So that at least provides a path if the Broncos are ever going to like open up their offense, like this would probably be the game to do it. That said, Jerry, Judy, Court, and Sutton are two of the worst wide receivers in the game this year in separating. And that is clearly affecting Russell Wilson, he has not, he's used to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who are these elite separators getting open and just hitting them in stride. He's really good at that. Really good yeah. at hitting dudes in stride. He's not good at throwing into coverage. And that's what we're seeing this season is like uh, Corlin Sun and Jerry Judy are creating like under two yards of separation per target. Um And it's close to, it's like 1.2 and then 1.3, uh, I think respectively there. And so their highest, their, their player that is generating the most separation this season is Greg Dulcich, the rookie tight end. So that's what we're seeing over the last like three, four games when Dulcich has stepped into, um, kind of higher share of the snaps here is like, oh shit, Russ is sitting back there. He's like, nobody's open. Who do I throw to? Cause I am not good at throwing into coverage. And he's like, oh, my big man tight end. Here you go. Uh, so Dulcich is interesting here. Um, trying to get a piece of this offense without forcing it, um, he feels like probably the most optimal route to go if you're going here.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I got um, asked at the preseason in one of the charity leagues in the uh, Eliminator League that I'm in, I drafted uh, Dolshitz, uh in there and I'm in there with uh, Derek Brown and, and quite a few other people in, in the particular league I'm in. And everybody was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I love Sutton. I, I'm, I'm a backholder of Sutton. I yeah. think Sutton needs another receiver to open him up. And, and Judy has shown that he is not that guy. I got off my Judy train after last year, yeah. but that being said, I've had him stashed in all my leagues, uh, especially at FFPC, where it's tied in premium. And when they drafted him, my my comp was, listen, this is a new staff. These are new people. They're trying to draft a version of their own Dawson Knox. That's what they're trying to look for. That's That was my comp for him. So it's been interesting to see how it played out. And I think going forward, it's going to be that. I think he's going to get peppered with a ton of targets every game. And I think he's going to be able to see a lot of opportunity here in another week in which we don't have a lot of tight ends available on the main slate. Yeah, so, it's
0: basically we're into that decision of Kelsey or not to Kelsey. Um, right. Yeah. It's we'll always to about Kelsey. It's always
1: <laughs> yeah. to Kelsey, by the way. It's like that's if that's your question, it's it's always there. And I I retweeted it and I love him for it while we're talking about the Kelsey's. If you haven't listened to their podcast, it's really enjoyable. They're the brothers are really funny together. Oh, but yeah, Jason Kelly had an elite tweet this week describing what a boneless chicken wing actually is, because it's not a chicken wing. If you get a chance, you can go check out his. I retweeted it. Elite comment. Elite. Uh, makes me like the guy even more. He, he's hard not to like to begin with. I'm not even an Eagles fan, but it's uh, it was pretty funny. I actually had me in stitches. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's about right. it from this game, man. Let's go to yeah. the next one. Yeah, yeah there's, there's nothing much here. Uh, now let's get on to a fun game here. We're going to go to the Browns and Dolphins one of the highest slate totals of the week. We know this is going to be very chalky, but one of the things we do with one week season, I think well is describe how to use chalk, when to use it and what's the right way to use it. Because one of the things I'm interested in is how to really leverage this game with the ownership it's going to have. So I have exposure without, especially on my three max, how to get into it on that side, and I think you have some interesting takes. So I don't want to steal your thunder here, and I'll let you uh, I'll let you lead off with this.
0: Yeah, dude the the field knows about the Dolphins by now. They're right. we're getting sharp. Um, <laughs> like we'll highlight this on the next game we cover because it's it's a funny story that happened just today. But um, many times this year, I have been like, oh, I found this awesome piece of leverage, and then I I don't look at ownership. Um, until Friday evening. And then I find out that it's like the mega chalk. And I'm like, fuck, man, <laughs> <I didn't, laughs> this play was so legit on paper. And I didn't think anybody was going to be on it. And then uh, that this week for, uh, that happened to me with Damian Pierce. Um, so we we'll, I think we're going to talk about that game as well, yeah. but um, yeah. So the field knows about the dolphins, what they ha- have not latched onto fully yet is the fact that, this is basically a three-man offense. <laughs> like it is Tua Tsungovailoa, it is Tyreek Hill, and it is Jalen Waddle. Everything, everybody else in this offense is a secondary piece. So if you view the offense like that, if you like really break down and dissect, like how is Mike McDaniel trying to win football games, he's designing an offense that maximizes the talents of those three players. He's basically shit canned his like outside zone run scheme roots. He's saying like he's brought in personnel in Raheem Moster and um, Jeff Wilson that are capable runners in that scheme, but that is not their focus. Like they are a top three pass rate over expectation team with Tua at quarterback. They want to be scheming ways for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle to get the football in their hands in high upside generating scenarios. So that is these dudes aren't running hooks. These dudes aren't running outs. These dudes are running like double moves goes. They're running slants. They're running upside routes where they can catch the ball without having their back turned to the defender. That is the, that is the value of Mike McDaniel. He's designing an offense to like maximize the talents that he has. And so if that's the case and their offense is so concentrated, look at their like combined air yards of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. It's like 66%. They are responsible for 66% of the yardage that the football is traveling in the air on this offense. That is pretty incredible. It's wild, wild stack. So like, why is, why are we, why are we like fighting just Forcing Tyre uh, Tua uh, with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle double stack. Why like why are we not doing that? Why are we trying to pick onesie twosie? Like everyone knows who Tyreek Hill is. He's now the highest priced wide receiver on the slate, more so than Cooper Cup, uh Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, all those guys. We know like who Tyreek Hill is. The field knows who Tyreek Hill is. The the <laughs> the the uh, pricing formulas know who Tyreek Hill is. So, why are we like, oh, I'm just going to eat the chalk and play Tyreek Hill? Or why am I going to get fancy and just go to Jalen Waddle and say that the touchdowns go there? Why are we not encompassing that whole piece, which is like, just play Tua with Tyreek Hill and double stack him with Jalen Waddle, take up two thirds of this offense and do that at, at a plus EV environment until the field catches on and starts doing it themselves? Like, I'm just going to keep playing Tua doubles.
1: Interesting on that that the way this matches up this week for me is because the Browns run D is so bad, right? So what I could also see happening here is some home runs, right? That we get Mostert or Wilson, because they're gonna use them. They're not they're not gonna go get 25 carries each, but they're gonna get used, and both of those guys most or more have the ability to break those home runs and we've seen them give it up. And what do we see happening on the other side? They're going to pound the rock. Now, one of the things that I think is a little bit skewed here in the DVOA settings for the Miami's run D is the matchup of Cleveland's offensive line versus Miami's defensive line. And that's a big advantage. They're like just the D line. the D line for the dolphins is like middle of the pack. Like that's all they actually are. And the offensive line for the Browns is elite. So how do we see that coming back? Sure. They're going to be able to get him through the upper line. And instead of getting two yards carry, I think Chubb's going to get his five, six yards. The secondary guys are going to stop him. He's going to get stopped by the backers and the, you know, and their safeties and such, but I like the, I like to bring back with Chubb here because I think that's Cleveland shown. This is how we're going to do it until Watson gets back.
0: Yeah. That's something that I've been attacking pretty heavily in the, um, the, the underdog best ball streets this week is, is mixing around the Chub into the Chubb mixing around Chubb into the, uh, Miami stacks that I've been running and drafting over there. Um, it's difficult to do with the amount of salary that you have to allocate that in a DFS scenario. Um, But there is high, there is upside there. The reason where I'm a little bit, um, I'm a little bit off in on DraftKings, I'm off a Chubb because he has, he's been seeing a very consistent range of opportunity in the backfield between like a 50 to 57% snap rate. And so we know that, like, we know it's a one-two punch still. We know that Cream Hunt was kept around. And we know that, like, Darness Johnson and Demetrik Felton don't really play unless the game is out of hand. So we're likely to see a very tight range of expectation from a range of outcomes perspective from the expected workload of um, Nick Chubb here. Whether or not there is upside for him personally depends greatly on him being able to rip off those chunk plays. And because of the fact that the dolphins really their biggest strength in the run game is not allowing second level yards. So not allowing breakaway runs Um, their linebackers and their safeties um, are very good in covering down and covering those gaps um, in the run game. So with all that said, the likelihood of Chubb breaking off multiple chunk gains is lower he's very likely to have a nice solid game where he's churning out four, five, six yards per carry. But the the fact that his touch count is relatively capped due to how they've been utilizing him this season, it means that you're fit. Th- you're threading a very thin needle. Um, if you're playing Chubb on a roster um, from a, from the sense of a full PPR format, I've been hitting him a little bit harder on half PPR um and that's also due to a format like uh underdog where there's no bonuses for like rushing. So it's just straight half PPR. But on DraftKings, you're threading a fairly thin needle by playing Chubb this week, in my opinion. There's other pieces. I actually like a, a good number, or I guess the two primary pieces for uh we'll call it three. The three primary pass catching pieces for the Browns. We know that the Dolphins have struggled um because they place so much emphasis on covering down those B gaps, those uh, minimizing the second level yards gained out of the run game. We know that they've been susceptible over the middle field to tight ends. David Njoku is out. So Harrison Bryant is stepping into a featured role at tight end. And we know this offense likes to utilize multiple tight ends, but I think Bryant played like 74% of the snaps, something like that last week. I'd expect that to grow slightly. Um, To be honest, in this matchup, so we're we're getting a like sub three k tight end who's going to be on the field probably eighty to eighty five percent of the time in a matchup that very could easily tilt the Browns to increased pass volume. Um, We've seen it this season. Um, They've they have games of like thirty eight pass attempts, thirty six. So they're not unwilling to turn to a little bit more pass heavy offense. Um, Harrison Bryant is a, is a cheap way to get access to this game environment. Also, we have Donovan peoples Jones who is fast AF and he's been actually utilized. He's transitioned a little bit away from that primarily just only a downfield role this season. And his, his route trees opened up a little bit, which is a plus when you look at like the progression of an NFL wide receiver, he's a young guy he came into the league just running like just goes like just run out there and yep. run fast. <laughs> so
1: um, the Raider way. That's what he was. Uh, that's what he was doing. He was built to be a yeah. Raider. Yeah. So his route is expanding a little bit. His dot is like
0: 11.5. Um, the actual leader in this offense in ADOT this season is Amari Cooper. He's up in the 12s, um, which is interesting. When they have a guy like Donovan Peoples Jones, they're kind of uh, they're they're mixing and melding their um, their route trees, which is good from how you want like an offense to be run. Really, um, you want to see those layered things. You don't want one guy doing one thing, another guy doing another thing, and now you know exactly how a defense is going to cover that, um, a la the Arizona Cardinals way. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like. Those three guys like Harrison Bryant, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Amari Cooper are highly intriguing to me because with um, David Njoku out, we know that that's going to um, narrow things a little bit for this offense. Uh, And we're likely to see Harrison Bryant step into Njoku's role a little bit heavier this week within second week as the starter. Um, And we know that Njoku has provided some pretty significant upside in this offense this year.
1: Yeah, especially with Amari's price at DK. Definitely want to have some ownership there. So one of the things you get to see if you're watching the live stream versus listening to this on podcast is we're showing our edge breakdowns. And if you come over to OWS, you're not going to get charged to see the, the top half of this here. It's open. Um, everybody gets to see it. We want you to see the value that you're bringing. Now, one of the cool things you're going to get as a member is as it goes through, you're going to get some DFS interpretation, some from JM, some from Hilo, some from MJ. Uh, you know the different providers here, and it's unique to see. So one of the things you get as a bonus versus having to listen to it at one and a half speed. Yeah, man i got to,
0: I got five minutes left. Let's hop over real quick to the, the yeah. Texans and the Giants. I just want to talk about the wave tops here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, fighting here. Um, Damien Pierce on paper is probably one of the top running back plays on the slate. I was so excited about him. Like, Oh, everyone's going to be glommed off on Saquon Barkley. Not the case. He's expected to be the highest known running back. Uh, so here we are me thinking I'm generating leverage and then actually checking and it's not happening, but Damian Pierce, he hasn't wrecked a slate yet. That said the volume is elite. And once the touchdowns start flowing, he's going to be in that same, um, like where did that come from running back game is going to happen at some point. So, on paper, he's a very interesting play. With ownership, we have to realize that he is um, probably in the gray area between like lead back and workhorse in the sense that he's seeing pass volume. So, he's seeing about the same pass game volume as Saquon Barkley this season on a per game basis, which is interesting. Um, if you look at like compare the per game target averages of Saquon versus the per game target averages of Damian hey. Pierce as the starter. It's fairly it's fairly close. So except
1: the game I had his prop, of course. <laughs> right. Funny how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. So um yeah, there on paper, Damian Pierce is a great play. There's a lot of stuff that has to go into that further uh when we're talking about playing him at ownership now. Um obviously on the other side, Saquon Barkley is uh, probably the top overall on play running back play on the slate. The Texans have given up 30 fantasy points to opposing running backs um, in like five of their eight games They're Um, the issue now is Saquon Barkley's pass game volume is less than it has been in the past. So we have to view Saquon a little bit more in the realm of a yardage and touchdown back than we've had to consider in the past. So, uh, that will probably, that decision will probably come down to ownership. I want to be playing both of them together. Uh, that's pretty much it. I'm not going to be touching many of the
1: pass catchers here. Yeah, I don't want anything to do with the quarterbacks or receiving core here. There's just not much oh, upside. I will be playing. Um, I will be playing. Long
0: no, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, Jones. I will be playing uh, Jones because we've seen the hundred yards and a touchdown upside. If he is tossing, uh, if he's he pairs that with a three passing touchdown game, um, which probably will happen at some point in the season he's going to be optimal on that slate. So I'll keep playing Jones. Um, the field doesn't like him. The field doesn't think he's a mobile
1: quarterback, but uh, he's high low sugar boo. So I'll keep playing him. He, he is. He's very much a one. <laughs> and uh, we'll finish off here with a game. We, you know, we were talking about before we started this, that we're both actually really interested in because of the ways you can stack this and combine and all the upside here of the saints and the Steelers. Uh, This is going to be a unique process as we go through here. While the over-under is low, I think we're going to get a lot of really low ownership. And this is one of those games that, while it's there in the range of outcomes, for sure has the upside to get into that 50s range for us.
0: Yeah. I'll hit the wave tops on this one too. What I'm seeing from this game is a wide range of outcomes with respect to the game environment. We could see the saints struggle and the Steelers just be like, okay, we'll struggle with you. We could see the saints succeed early and then the Steelers be pushed when the Steelers are pushed. They have, um, they don't care who's at their quarterback. They're just going to be airing the ball out. So like, um, we've had pass attempts for like 52, 44, uh, in the high thirties, 42, something like that. Um, from the rookie quarterback in pit. And so like they're very clearly able and capable of airing it out. Also on both offenses, we have constricting targets. So on the saints, we have Al Kamara and Chris Olave. Jarvis Landry is attempting to come back in his second straight week of limited practices. Um, and then it's like, they have Trotman and Jawan Johnson and some tight ends, oh. so the Oops. smattering of tight ends. They have that's um, really like, they don't have anything else. So a uh, highly concentrated offense between like, you can even add, if you want like the, the perennial troll Taysom Hill, but it's like Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave. Okay, cool. Look at the over, uh, over to the other side. See has got rid of chase Claypool. They have, um, I would expect because Claypool was their primary slot wide receiver that Gunnar Olszewski steps into those slot snaps, as opposed to moving Deontay into the slot. They like Deontay on the, on the perimeter. They like uh, George Pickens on the perimeter. They're probably going to run those guys run Gunnar Olszewski in the slot at an increased rate, but they're probably what the biggest beneficiary of the move Pat, from maybe. Chase Claypool is probably Pat Fryermuth. Um, So yeah. I'll be playing him uh, fairly heavily, even in a bad on paper matchup against the saints, because I think his per touch upside um, is unchanged and he's
1: probably going to be accessing a higher opportunity share on this offense. He is he's basically their slot wide receiver now while he he's coming from the tight end position, he's going to be used as their slot. You just said it, the opportunity upside that's there up. Uh, we're excited about, uh, with that. And so we're definitely going to have some exposure to that. So as we wrap up here this week, uh, Hilo did a good job of muting his mic cause he was coughing. If you got to watch on the stream, uh, you'll see, uh, how many times he had to do it. But we thank you for coming in. Keep in mind, again, you can come over to One Week Season. It doesn't cost anything to join the Discord. It doesn't cost anything to access this uh, part of it. And you're able to get some takes. Now, what does the insider and info get you? A lot. And it actually gives you the DFS interpretations and breakdowns and some streams that are only for Inner Circle members. So we look forward to seeing you guys. And we'll see you next week. Feel better, buddy. See you, fam. Thanks, dude.